Welcome back to the OPEX podcast. On today's episode, I am joined by Lee Taft. Lee and I discuss environmental design to optimize motor learning and skill acquisition. And Lee also shares his thoughts on developing linear and multi-directional speed. Guys, this was a great conversation with Lee, and I hope you really enjoy it. Lee Taft, you absolute legend. Was, do you know what your name is for today? It's going to be Coach Excellence or, co- <laughs> or Coach Greatness. That's what I call it, Coach Greatness. Come here, I really appreciate you making time. Uh, you're an absolute legend, you know, being a mentor to so many of us in the field. Everyone listening to this, you know, isn't really going to need to know who you are. But I do want you to give a bit of background. One story I love from your background is the story in the Tennis Academy. We had all those groups of foreigners and you're like, how do you coach all these people? But Give us your background and then give us a sort of update of where you are now and what's going on with Lee Taft and all the consultancy and speaking you're doing and mentorships and projects. I know you're, you're in the depths of right now, but uh, yeah, fill us in on, on what's going on in your life. Well, great. First of all, I appreciate you, Robbie. I always have. Uh, you do some great stuff. You get great uh, information out there. And, uh, you know, I know I'm one that really appreciates that. So thank you for having me on. Um, you know, I, you know, for those who, who have not, you know, kind of know my background. I started as a teacher. I was a phys ed teacher. My, my dad, my brothers, my sisters were classroom teachers, grew up in athletics, coached, you know, from the 80s, late 80s on till, you know, till, you know, a few years ago, I was still coaching actually sport. And so early on, I developed a, an ability to coach. So what we do, what you and I do, and a lot of the, you know, strength and conditioning coaches, we're coaches. That's what we do. And and it doesn't matter if it's a team sport or an athlete needing to learn how to do a clean and jerk or an athlete learning how to, you know, do a a high knee running drill. Doesn't matter. We, that's what we do. So I learned that skill set really young and I had great, you know, my dad and my brothers were really great models for me. They taught me how to do it and they corrected me when I didn't do it well. So that was very helpful. Um, so you know, through, through the early years of coaching, I just gradually got myself more and more entwined into strength and conditioning. I was really uh, drawn to speed development, um, love strength training, uh, but speed was something that I was pretty good at as an athlete. That was one of my, I'm not a really big guy, so I had to be quick and I played all, you know, pretty much all the sports. And over time, I just started to, you know, gain a, an appreciation for how we moved and, and, uh, but I didn't question it. You know, I didn't really quite, I just, I just looked at it and I kept saying, okay, well that seventh grader just did the same thing that Gail Sayers did back in the fifties and sixties. And the same thing Michael Jordan did. And, you know, in Pele, they all just did the same thing. Now, some of them did it better than the others, but I'm thinking, hmm, why did that happen? Why did they do the same thing? And they didn't have access to the same coaching or maybe the same environment. And then I realized, well, they did have the access to the same environment. The ball went that way. So where did the athlete went? That way. Okay. And then it started to make sense to me. I'm like, are we overthinking this thing? And I'm thinking, yeah, I think we kind of are. But then I started to realize, well, the thought process has to be more regimented. It has to, we have to, we have to be in depth in our thinking when it really matters. Okay. So a technical issue, a biomechanical issue, um, maybe a rest and recovery if we want to go that that that's where our strengths are but the purity of a movement 
I think somebody figured that out for us. You know, I think before we, you know, we even existed, that was already there for us. And it's our ability to be able to recognize that and support it versus trying to change something that's, that's natural and normal. And so that's really what brought me over the last 30 years to where I am now, where I consult a lot on that. And I've consulted for many years, but it's gotten much more, um, um, you know, aggressive lately. I've, I've really been traveling a lot. I just got home working with a major league baseball team and tomorrow, not tomorrow, but the next day I fly to Korea and I'll, I'll uh, go over there and do it. And then I come home and then I head to Wisconsin a day later. And so it's, it's kept me traveling. But what I've appreciated about it is not to tell people to change what they're doing, but to just make them think differently and allow them to change when it makes sense to them. Because what I see isn't what everybody else sees simply because when I grew up, I was fortunate enough not to question what I saw. Um, if I did question it, it was because I wanted to make sense of it, but I just watched and I said, well, you know, I just saw a hundred athletes move and 99 of them did this, this way. And then, you know, the next camp I went to, or I did, they did the same thing. So that's kind of where I've, you know, I've kind of developed, you know, what I call coach's eye, I just watched. I haven't invented anything. All I've done is created strategies to support what it is that I've witnessed and what the central nervous system is telling us it wants, it needs, and it's, it's, um, it regards as important. And so, you know, that's kind of where I've been. And so I've created these little retreats. I do a little retreat at my house. We've done for a few years now. <clears throat> we invite like seven people and they actually, other than they find a hotel, but other than that, they're with us the whole weekend. We feed them. We have specialty smoothies for them and we do wow. everything. <clears throat> and we do a lot, excuse me, <clears throat> we do a lot of film breakdown and we actually break down models of movement. We break down why things are happening and we have a great time. And so that's kind of where I'm at. And I'm really enjoying that process. And you know this, because we've had this conversation before. Every time you open up a new door, you realize you're starting all over again. So mm. even though I've seen a lot, and I've been a lot, I feel like I'm just scratching the surface. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a beginner. Well, it's because I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to learn more about the brain and I'm trying to learn more about learning and all these things. And it's, you know, we're never going to have all the answers. I, I mean, I don't think so, but I think we can just make it more efficient. Yeah. Great stuff. Great stuff. And just before I move on there, with regards to the, the sort of intensive mentorships you do at your home, is that application? Do you, do you have to apply for that? Lee? No, nope. We no. just, what we do is we tell them what we're doing and we, uh, we make sure they understand it's, it's, it's a very hands-on thing. We mm -hmm. sit, for a little bit and on day one when we start and I'll, I'll break down a little bit some film and then the morning of the next day I'll same thing we'll have breakfast and we sit around great, the table and great. I PowerPoint. other than that if you're not willing to come in and be active and participate and open your mind like I don't want somebody coming who's fixed already who said you know this yeah. is the way I do it I just want to come in and challenge you I'm like well don't waste your time you know what I mean other than that, no, if, if it's because we'll have physical therapists. We had a, I had a dad from Miami Brilliant. who just wanted to coach his young Brilliant. soccer team better. Love it. So we get a mix of everybody and I make sure we reach their level. That's why I only have seven people so that I can look at that person and say, what can I do to help you? What, how can we do this together? Or when I have the physical therapist who's also an advanced strength coach, I can say, where can we go in this you know, to help you maybe uh, have a, maybe a new strategy that might help your teams or your clients. 
great. I love it. Because I remember when we when we met in person here in Dublin in April 2018, you, you were telling me about your initial sort of, um, your initial hopes now for this sort of intensive mentorship. And it was funny because at the time I, I hadn't, Bill Hartman hadn't actually even done his first intensive yet. And I got invited then later on in 2018, September 2018 to his second one. And I can remember when we were having that conversation back in April and you were telling me like, you know, I'm going to have guys over to the house and we'll be there for two, three days. And I was like, that is how continued education should be like. Like, that's exactly what I always wanted. Like, I always remember when I was younger, I was like, I'd love to just like stay for a week with Mike Boyle in his house. Like, what would that be like, you know? And then like when Bill did it, because I got to stay with Bill in his house and it was there for a week. And I was just like, this is unreal. And then like thinking to the model that you have now, I know you said they stay in a hotel, but they're basically in your house for those two days. Because I did the same with Alvar Meal, just as a, per- like it was just me off my own back. You know, I stayed in a hotel, but then I was in his house for like two days fully. And like, he would actually let me stay in his house. I was just like, I don't want to be bothering your, your wife, like or whatnot. And it was funny because even yesterday I had an interview with Cal Dietz and Chris Corfus. And like Dietz goes to me, he says, Robbie, anytime you want to come to West Constant, you can just stay in my house. And like, that's exactly like, that's how you really learn. Like, you know what I mean? Being around those guys, being a, not just, you know, while they're at the facility, but just kind of being around them, absorbing their, them as a human, as a life. And I just know the week I spent with Bill was like the greatest educational experience I ever have. One, because like Bill's obviously just extremely intelligent, you know, yeah. so intelligent at times. You're like, I'm completely lost here, but, I, <laughs> but you're like, but I know I'm learning something. So yeah. listen, I just want to say, I, I love how you're, you're doing this too. Um, with regard to, you know, your sort of expertise in, in, in your domain as well. Um, the team, as I said before you hopped on, is actually about learning. Like, I'm fascinated with learning, and you're, and I know you're fascinated with learning. And I suppose learning, you know, learning is probably just another branch off mastery, really. I know me and you both, you know, love the concept of mastery and learning and creativity, and I suppose movements is one of the best expressions of, of creativity. When it comes to movemently, I suppose we, we, let's just for the, for the sake of this conversation, let's keep it to like linear and multidirectional speed for now, and you can branch off with it any way you want. But when it comes to setting up optimal learning environments, you kind of touched on it there in the intro, you know, the sort of concept of trying to maybe enhance or facilitate rather than interfere. When it comes to enhancing linear and multidirectional speed and setting up environmental designs, what comes to mind for you? Well, I, I think we, you always have to understand, you know, the, the, I guess in any, any area of professionalism, we talk a lot now about we use this thing and we you know we put quotations and we say why okay so if we were to say why does an athlete move the way they do well if we we we, and this is where i think we've run into problems is we get too um compartmentalized if we look at um a soccer player on the pitch moving they're never thinking in depth about their feet they're never thinking about my feet need to do this. I need to do that. They're thinking about, um, you know, accomplishing something, whether it's marking somebody, whether it's kicking it in the upper corner, uh, whether it's chipping the ball up, whether it's making a, you know, an offensive dribble move, whatever. And so when an athlete does that movement, just like a child, an infant eventually getting up on their knees and eventually getting up on their feet because they see a toy across the room and they got to get there somehow. So they create strategies to get there. Well, that's no different than an elite athlete or a seventh grader or a ninth grader trying to get to another point on the court, field, pitch, ice, track, whatever. And so 
I think when we start to try and solve that puzzle for them, rather than embrace what it is that they do naturally and just make it more efficient. Like we can, we can mess with levers and we can mess with, you know, biomechanical positions to help them a little bit, but that might be done in the form of strength. Okay. I might not be able to get them to collapse their limb better to be a better sprinter until mm. they get stronger. So they hold the positions. So when I look at getting an athlete into a position where I want them to learn more, the first thing I have to do is I got to give them some kind of task that they have to try to solve because that does one thing for them and it does one thing for me. For them, it allows them to feel success or not success or in between. It could be partially successful, not all the way. So like I could make a really great move, but not finish at the goal, right? Or in basketball, I could make a great move and you know, miss the basket or whatever. But for me, I have a point of evaluation now. I can say, you know what? You did everything right, bad luck. You know, you just, you just, the angle was a little bit off or the surface was wet or whatever. So my instruction in that case is minimal, if anything, because I'm like, hey, next time you'll get it. But let's say they struggled to make the move and they had a hard time getting by a defender and they, they maybe made a really bad pass or a bad decision or mechanically they did something wrong. Well, that affords me the opportunity in the moment to be able to instruct while the athlete felt that lack of success and I recognized it. And now I can attach those two things together and say, well, this might have been the reason why. Let's, let's try this. Let's see if we can fix it by maybe you get a little, you know, a little better knee bend or, you know, your shoulders need to be forward better or whatever, whatever the situation might be. Now, all of a sudden, the athlete's like, okay, yeah, I, I felt off balance. I felt like I'm like, well, yeah, that's kind of what I saw. So what I'm doing now is I'm not giving them some foreign drill or instruction that is very closed. I'm attacking that openness of the movement that they just did. And I'm just attaching a reason to it. And the reason gives the athlete something to have context to. They're like, well, yeah, I, you know, I thought I had the lane open and I couldn't get through there. I'm like, well, yeah, I think it was because you didn't do this. And they're like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Or they might say, yeah, but I don't get that. I'm like, that's okay. Let's just try and see where it, it ends up. So kind of see where I'm going with it. I, I think what I have done over the years is I, you know, and you hear this a lot, the older we get, the less we talk, right? And so the more what I try to do is let the athlete give me responses that help me understand what they're thinking about, okay? Because I know what I saw, but until I know the reason they did it, sometimes I don't have an answer that is going to give them context to the issue. So hopefully that kind of gives you a roundabout idea. And tell me this, Lee, how, when you're watching an athlete move, how are you able to diagnose whether, you know, I know exos have that model of position, pattern, and power. So basically, when they look at an athlete move, and if they're noticing that something just isn't right, they kind of ask this question is, 
is it a is it a position issue? So basically, is it a mobility issue that they just physically can't get into that position? Whether like it's an ankle mobility issue or there's something going on with the hip or T spine, and then if mobility is cleared, well then is it just a motor control issue? Is it a patterning issue that they just they have been exposed enough to 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 understand the proper angles? And then if that's cleared, if mobility and motor control is cleared, well then is it just probably they're not strong enough or powerful enough to to hold a certain position? So like, is there a certain model in your mind that you use in your diagnosis of what what you think is inefficient movement and that's the first part of that question and if it's okay to ask a little second part to that how do you actually know something is an inefficient movement for someone because we know with like newell's model of organism task and environment we know with organism we obviously have physical and then um physical constraints and then there's obviously what's the other constraint in that you have your physical constraints sort of like your morphological neurological constraints as well like uh, so you know the actual structure of your body and then its ability to whatever like sort of output it can put out within a given moment in time like but everyone is obviously going to come to the table with different sort of physical constraints to their body like me for instance with like i've got stiff fairly stiff ankles so some people are like you got to get into deeper shin angles like that that shin angle ain't going any deeper baby yeah um so two two-part question there do you have a sort of a model like an like an exos model where like you know okay mobility issue yes no if it if it's if it's not a mobility issue, is it like motor control stability? Yes, no. If it's not, well, then is the strength and power, like how you diagnose that? And yeah. then just on the flip end of that, how can you tell if something is or is not efficient movement for someone? Because it kind of goes back to Sean Miska, where like Sean keeps always kind of he would nearly kind of like tongue in cheek say to someone, "What?" Like people say, "Oh, like optimal movement." The Sean be like, "What is optimal movement? It doesn't, you know, it doesn't really exist because what's optimal for one individual." wouldn't be an optimal and you used a great word earlier on and it's, and it's a word that bill hartman says strategy like what's an awesome movement strategy for one individual to accomplish a specific task or goal won't be an optimal strategy for someone else and even within that and you know this an optimal strategy that i'll use to complete a specific task at one particular moment in time won't be the same optimal strategy that i'll need to complete a similar task at another time period as well you know so that kind of yep. that kind of law of, of degeneracy you know using different Roams to, or different roams, different roads to get the roams when I went. But sorry, that two prong question, if if that, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And it's very funny because my model is very similar. And I think most people will say the same thing. So I always look biomechanically first. Are they hitting positions and postures that allow efficiency to occur? And I think that's what we all, you know, we're gonna. That, that's one of the most obvious things that we can look at, um, you know, immediately. Um, secondly. We're going to look at a strength power deficit, like you had mentioned, and like Exos I know uses. And like I said, I think it's a it's a pretty good continuum that a lot of people will follow because those are the those are the big nuts and bolts, right? So, and then and then thirdly, then I look at motor control. So I okay. try to almost go in those or that order. All right. So the, the the one thing that I try to always preach to to anybody that I'm you know maybe you know speaking with or mentoring or we're just talking is if you have an idea of what it should look like, then you can know how far off they can be and still be successful. Gotcha. And that would be the word, a model, right? So we all have models that we yeah. develop. Like if I'm look, working with a basketball player shooting a jump shot, you can look at somebody shooting a jump shot and you can say, oh, that was ugly. That, was, that didn't even come close to fitting the model. Well, same thing when I watch somebody sprint or accelerate or change direction. There are certain biomechanical positions that if the athlete can hit it then i know 
it could be a matter of t talking about how, I'm, how am I going to move my center of mass? How am I going to fight forces like gravitational forces or change the direction? So mass and momentum forces. If I'm hitting the model of that movement, that's going to allow me to do that. It becomes really obvious if somebody doesn't hit it. Then I start to say, okay, well, they're, you know, they're 11 years old and they probably don't have enough strength. Mm. So motor learning doesn't become a major factor yet in some things because they don't have the strength yet because they're, they're, they're understanding the movement. And it's not that they're not doing the movement. They're just unable to hit positions because they don't have the ability either to um, unload those forces or concentrically move it or load those forces eccentrically and then, and then be able to command a, a position of their body. Yeah. And so we look, if we look at those three things, you know, biomechanical strength, power, whatever we're looking at or elasticity. Yeah. And then, um, and then, uh, you know, motor learning. And, and then we can start to say, well, you know, biomechanics, they might, they might know what to do, but they don't have the strength yet to be able to hit those positions. And that's when you, as a coach, you have to be patient and you got to be careful not to overcoach an athlete and to say, you got to collapse your leg and you got to keep your pelvis tall and you've got to do this when you know they don't have the strength to do it because that leads to frustration and failure. Mm. But if you just say, you're like, Hey, you're, you're right there. Keep doing it. We're good. We're going to get you there. We're just going to, you know, now you develop a, a strength program that helps them get better. And then usually the motor learning comes through the repetitions of proper cueing and uh, volume. Do you think that a lot of coaches default to classical strength training as a prescription to maybe, you know, as a prescription to help to overcome some deficits in movement? You know, are you weak? Let's just get strong. And, you know, what, and again, I suppose it, it depends too on the context of the athlete because if they're young and the organism is just like completely a blank slate and early, everything will work. So it's like, yeah. oh, I, just, I just knew we had to get strong there. But obviously, you know, there comes a point where that transfer starts to, starts to diminish. And, you know, you are like the movement guy, like, you know, and you know as well as I do, like we've come across athletes who in the classical sort of strength sense in terms of weight room numbers, like they're weak, like, you know. But when they're out in the field, man, they, they, can, they, can, they can produce force, but they also know how to apply that force at proper angles. You know, they're just, they're just great movers. And they know how to apply the force that they're capable of. Um, and I think, I think as, as we've gone on, as we learn more, I think we're starting to realize and recognize, or a lot of people are starting to appreciate that, you know, that like, yeah. and the, the other thing too is that we're also incorrect in saying the word strength training because not the word, it's the concept that comes to our yeah. mind. When you say strength, most people, they automatically think, you know, concentric base lifts, but eccentric followed by concentric base lifts in a weight room. They, always, they automatically think, you know, squatting and benching and deadlifting. And, you know, then if you want to get into Olympic lift derivatives where it's more, you know, strength speed and whatnot. Um, whereas like really what we're doing in a weight room is just we're doing force training you know we're just working on putting force out and it's just that resistance training is one method of getting of being able to apply more force like you can get guys who all they do is jump and sprint and they're strong as hell in terms of being able to apply yep. force it's just that lifting weights is another way of applying force you know so there's many ways like sprinting is a form or is an expression of strength it's just that strength expressed very fast you know so it's it's just that, again, I think, you know, it's semantics and the way that we categorize certain things in our head. When you say, you know, strength training, they are, most people, and I would have been guilty this years ago, all, you know, like 
Trapard Ellis, what's his numbers, you know, or squatting, what's his numbers, where it's like, uh, no, sprinting is strength training. It's just that it's a different means of producing force. That's what we're doing in the weight room, really. But, sorry, my question is, do you think that, you know, we sort of coaches, and I don't know if you've been guilty as I was, you know, just, I just need to get strong. Don't worry, you know. Whereas now, thanks to JB Morin, they're like, yeah, you can be really strong, but if you're directing that force, it, like, completely arse ways, it's like, you still aren't going to go where you need to go when it comes time to change the direction. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I've always been really big on on um, summation of movements. The mm-hmm. more efficient we get, um, we talk, you know, a big phrase that we use a lot is co-contraction. And we're, you know, we're talking about being safe and making sure the joint is getting co-contraction. So it's, it centralizes it and all. But you're not going to get a a 959 sprint or a you know, or in a woman, you know, 10, four, nine, or whatever the times are, you're not going to get those with co-contraction and, and, you know, muscles firing on both sides of the joint at the same time. You, mm. you, you have to develop purity of movement and this fluidity to have the ability to produce this force and coordinate it in such a manner that those limbs can move at massive speeds and then time it to be able to decelerate them when that's now the other side of the joint to to produce force. And that comes with repetition that comes through proper training and it, and it comes through developing the central nervous trust in, in you as a mover to say, okay, I'll give you that. You've earned it. I'll now give you that because you've shown me enough, um, uh, solid repetitions and you're able to maintain position and stabilize it. So I'll give you more, you know what I mean? It's not going to happen. That's why beginners don't throw hard punches and, you know, beginners don't, you know, ride a bike really well and beginners don't throw a ball really fast. The body has to trust that you put the time in and you can do it. And I think that's when we start to see it. So I'm, I've, you know, I'm a big fan of, you know, traditional strength training, but I will quickly, you know, um, you know, put the put the traditional strength training on the back burner. Yeah, yeah, to, yeah. To make sure that we're getting good classic transfer to performance in the in you know performance based strength training versus weight room number strength training. Do you know uh, you probably saw me in the video there like shake my head and go a few times because I thought the way you worded that was so good. Do you know what? It's so funny like. It's not uh, nothing you said there was like, oh my God, it's the first time I ever heard it. It's just the way you worded that to let the nervous system trust you. That's exactly what like trying to diminish neural inhibition is. And it's, it's yeah. so funny. Like, just that was a beautiful way of describing it. And what's also coming to my mind there, too, is that isn't it funnily that what and, and you see this in, in so many other domains in life. Like, one area too is nutrition, and it'll make sense as I said it's now, or I hope it does. But what once was beneficial for getting you closer to a goal actually starts to become detrimental. So what I mean by that is when you were young and you weren't strong from the classical strength standpoint, getting stronger did help you in your speed and power uh, indicacies. But then as you kind of alluded to there, like, and Franz talks about this, Franz Bosch is like, yeah, but then what happens is, listen, motor control and performance is specific. This is what the law of specificity is. And what happens is if you start doing a ton of, slower heavy 
movements where there's large joint displacements and the co-contractions are all over the place that will actually interfere with the motor patterning of speed training so now it's actually detrimental and the reason why i bought nutrition up there was that how many times have you heard someone go oh i went vegan and i was great for two years and then i went to shit or I went on that carnivore diet for a year, felt great, all my allergies went, and then I went to shit. So it's like a strategy that worked for you in one moment of your life, you know, can actually end up being your undoing and another and another part in your development as a person, or in this case with strength, training, and speed as an athlete. And even another point, like another realm too, just because I'm doing a lot of reading around mental health, is that sort of a, a strategy you may use as an emotional coping mechanism at one part of your life when you were younger, maybe can actually be your undoing then as an adult, like that coping strategy now is, is so it's so funny how something that can be beneficial at some certain point in time. Let's put this back in the context of our conversation of getting faster with regards to classical strength training. As you start to progress along your athletic career and journey, it's like, you know what, that's actually an interference effect right now. And it's actually detrimental to your long-term development if you want to get quicker faster more explosive to help you be a better athlete in your sport so Absolutely. just want to say that was beautiful trust the nervous system because i love talking about neural inhibition so that's a beautiful way to put that and if you just want to share your thoughts there on that go ahead yeah no i mean that's exactly it it's um you know i'll just give you a specific example of, of myself i'm you know, I'm 5'10", you know, I'm 168 pounds, 70 pounds. I'm not- and, and very good looking, you have to say. Yeah, yeah, believe me. Now I know you're lying to me, Robbie. Come on now. I thought we were friends here. Now you're... <laughs> but I, I was an athlete in high school. Now, when I went to, when I, you know, 1980 was my first year as a freshman, okay? So it was, a, it was before the boom of strength training traditionally like we do now, right? There was, there was kind of the segments you could go to the, you know, the room behind the room where there was some weightlifters and bodybuilders, right? But that wasn't, it wasn't mainstream. So I didn't do a lot of strength training back then, but I ran a lot. I jumped a lot. We ran in snow. We did stuff, you know, at my size, I could easily dunk a basketball. I was a four, four type, you know, 40 guy. I, uh, you know, I was, I was, um, you know, really quick. I could move really well and I had no strength training, but I did it so much that my, my ability to like you talked about have inhibition when I when I was in an explosive moment in a postural position where I needed my body to trust that movement it was there and and I could move as I got older and into after college and really after college because even college we didn't really lift then I kind of got into it and I I put on some weight and I got really strong relatively speaking you know as to somebody my size and I lost a lot of my reaction. And I was still in my mid-20s, you know, so I was still a good athlete. Well, the funny thing is, I remember kind of changing how I worked out. I went back to my other just normal fun play training and running, and I do sprint work. And I remember when I was like 30, 31 years old, I got back to being able to dunk a basketball again. And to me, that was a really cool thing. And at that point, I was a strength coach. I, so I'm trying to tell athletes, yeah, we got to get you stronger because you just lack such relative strength. You just can't, you, you don't control your body really well. So we're going to do it, but we're going to make sure we wrap this up in a really nice elastic property where you can mm. express that strength. And that's kind of, that's something I always remember because I did it personally. And over the years, I've done it with many athletes to have them reach, you know, pretty high success. Yeah. Like two things in that is like, it's, Again, it kind of, it's just like you're telling the athlete, listen, you just need to get to like this competency level of relative strength. And then once we get there, 
there's just a complete diminishing return and it's actually going to take away from the aspects that we want to get better at. And also too, I, I think as well, like the more I studied motor learning, you know, it's just like, it's, it's kind of like, the, you know, that voice in your head that goes, well, duh. It's just mm. like, you know, like heavy squatting and i'm just using that example and by the way listen i know you're not saying this i'm not saying this strength training in the way that most of us think about strength training again i'm just gonna say resistance training actually resistance training definitely has its part to play like i i think as as athletes get more experienced and older and uh it's only just we use i i see it more as kind of just an injury reduction tool rather than you know, really enhancing sort of more speed power indices when an athlete gets to a certain level now, just, just right. to make that clear. But the point I'm going back to is that like when you actually step back and start learning about motor control and motor learning and motor tasks, you're like, they're two completely different motor tasks. Like, you know what I mean? So in, in, in the human mind, we like to think that A, you know, equals B will, will bring us to C, you know? So like, oh, if I do this, it'll happen to this. And it's like, they're two completely different tasks. Like when you get to a certain level of being able to do this motor task say, of a squat, and then there's this motor task of sprinting and changing direction, and also having to do that in the chaotic environment, two completely separate. Like there's like no. That's why on Bonner Chuck's charts with the bench press and the throwers, he's like, when we took like really untrained young throwers and their bench press went up, it was like, yeah, there was a positive correlation. By the way, correlation. They were doing other things, but he's like, when you took the elite guys and they kept going bench, he's like, their throws went down yeah. because they were like. It's like this, like, it's like the body's going, this, why, why are we doing this? If you want to yeah. throw more, you throw more. We know that as you get more experience, you got to be more specific in your training. Like, yep. and it's just kind of like when, when you kind of sit down and, you know, you think about it, you're kind of going, well, that kind of makes sense. You know, like, it's kind of like if you took someone off the street and said, if you want to get better at something, what would you do? He's like, probably do that something, I would think. I was like, yes. So it's just yeah. funny. I think we just get into our sort of our own biases. Cause listen, I, I'm a weightlifting guy too. Like I came from, I love lifting weights even though like I don't look like I lift that many weights, but I do love it. Yeah. But it's, it's funny. Um, I don't know if you've anything to add to that, but I, uh, if you do go ahead, cause I have two other questions I want you to touch on. Yeah, no, that, I mean, I think you, you know, you encompassed what it is that we're talking about. And I think so much of being a quality mover is being able to uh, connect the qualities that the body has with the task that it needs to accomplish. Certainly. So a, a perfect example is the world record power lifter probably could not shot put far at all if they've never done a shot put before. So if we're going to say, well, strength is the answer, well, answer for what? You know, it's, it's the answer for relatively, you know, lifting that bar off your chest and pressing it up or squatting, you know, the bar from parallel up. It's relative. That doesn't mean you're going to be a great vertical jumper because you're doing, you know, and that's one of the things that I think we have to get people to understand is you know uh, quality movement has has the, the the physical things we need we need strength we need you know power we need elasticity we need all these things but they have to be able to be used in a, a, a way that allows me as the athlete to accomplish a task quickly under no conscious thought of using those qualities if I bench press, there's thought going on, you know, stay tight, squeeze my lats, you know, extend the elbow, you know, I, I have positions I can think about. But if I'm blocking in foot in American football, a, a, a linebacker rushing my quarterback, I'm not going to think like that, even though my arm position might be the same or similar in bench pressing, it now is based on the experiences that I'm going through. 
And that's, that's where strength becomes very relative or not very relative. And I think that's the same thing with movement. So when I make a quick change of direction and cut, well, it's because you made me do it. It's because I'm trying to stop you from scoring. So all those qualities of human movement, the strength, the biomechanics, all that stuff, now have to be able to flow out of my nervous system to accomplish that task versus me forcing them and squeezing them out of my nervous system. Love it. Love it. So I'd like you to talk about linear speed, you know, your sort of what comes to your mind there. And then obviously multi-directional speed. And just before I let you hop in there as well, I just want to make the listeners fully aware that Lee's not just a multi-directional speed guy. Yeah, I, I, it's actually a question I, I you know, you, you can allude to this whenever you want and you can take it on now if you want. Uh, like do you are you a little bit, not sick but do you get like a bit like you know eye roll going you know i'm not just a multi-directional speed guy because <laughs> it's so funny because like it's the same i remember when i had when i spoke to Stu mcgill before so funny and i said Stu, you know people think that oh, this is back when he was still like you know in waterloo like a few yeah. years ago and i was like Stu, you know people think that all you do all day long is bring people into the clinic and just brace them and he goes he was like for fuck's sake he's just like <laughs> it was just like yeah, you, know, you just get this this paintbrush. You just one thing that you do, you know. Like so, Carl Dietz yesterday was like, Carl, people think that all you do is just like try phasing training. And he's just like, yeah, he's like, it's just it's like a six week section out of my whole year that I do. You know, like, so it's kind of funny. But I, linear speed, multi-directional speed. And if you want to actually like address that, I I do more than uh, multi-directional speed. Like you mean yeah. a football coach, a basketball coach? You mean? <laughs> You know what I mean? Well, it is. It's funny because I, it doesn't really, it doesn't bother me because I, I it just isn't something that affects me. But I find it funny because I'll even get, if I get a parent that calls me in and they'll say, you know, I need my son or daughter to get faster. And then I'll talk about strength. Like, oh, do you, do you do strength too? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I do. And, and, and then we'll talk about, well, you know, this is one of the issues and I'll talk about mobility. Can you help me with mobility? Yeah, I can help you with mobility. And, and so it, but, but that's okay. I mean, that's not, you know, those are things that I don't have any control of when somebody has a perception of me. I just what I, one thing I was smart about, and this was Ryan Lee, who, you know, as well, Noah, Ryan Lee long time ago said, well, you know, if you pick a niche, and people know you for that and you want to impact people within that niche, just stick with it and go with it. And that's, so that's kind of what I always did. I knew that was kind of something that um, people were interested in and, and, you know, they're more comfortable now, but years ago, people just weren't comfortable with multi-directional speed. They, they were good in the weight room and they were okay with sprinting. But when it came to change of direction, mechanics and forces and stuff, they're like, I don't have an idea. So I said, well, I do have an idea and I'd love to share it with you. So that's kind of why I stuck with it. But yeah, that's, so yeah, it's kind of one of those things where it doesn't really bother me, but I just, I kind of chuckle sometimes because people think that oh, you know, strength training too. I'm like, yeah, I'm probably better at strength training than I'm at, I am at speed, but that's not what I speak on. So yeah, just, and obviously I want, want you to get into your linear multi-directional models. But one thing I will say too, is I've seen videos of your daughter's Olympic lifting. And I was like, holy fuck, that is beautiful. And, I, and, I, like, <laughs> and I'm not just saying this because, because I am, I am actually, you know, I guess I'm, I'm a weirdo, like I'm a funny cat, like, so I can be real cynical sometimes, you know, you know, people say, oh, my athletes lift this and this. And I kind of roll my eyes and go, yeah, but like, it's junk. Like I've seen the videos, they're catching things like a starfish. Why would you even put that out there? Like, yeah. it's, it's, there's a word we use here in Ireland to say like, like, as in like, that's not good. We'd say that's a pony. 
<laughs> I don't know why we use that word. It was like, you know, it's just kind of like, well, that was pony. Uh, so, like, you know, you see all those horrible things. But I seen a video. I'm not sure it was your younger daughter. Yeah, Bailey. And she was snatch- yeah, snatching. Because I can remember with your groundbreaking speed too. And, uh, you you know, you had the whole compliment in there. You had all about strength training too. And you had your Olympic lifting technical model. And very similar to like Glenn Penley, like, you know, you kind of go from the pocket, you teach that top down approach where, you know, you catch and then you, you go like that position one where it's like right in the pocket. And you're like, and I remember you saying like, we nailed that position before we go any further. Like, so it's that consistent bar path. And I remember seeing your younger daughter and it was a snatch she was doing from like little, like slightly elevated blocks. And then you had a video and it slowed down. And like maybe because I I was jealous because I was like I wish I could do that because I'm <laughs> I'm tall and gangly, but like I just watched it like and her, like the technique was so perfect, barring close, flicked right like right where that bar should hit in the snatch and just boom caught it, and I was just like that is just like that's because Lee I bet you made her do it from that position again and again and again the repetition so yeah like just just to say that from an Olympic lift and the strength standpoint I've seen your athletes lift like and they can lift. Yeah, thank you. And it's and it's funny because Bailey, she at those times, those videos, she was, you know, in her just before she went to college, senior year, she'd been doing them yeah, for yeah. a while. But it was the process. We I never I don't rush. I have no she's a she's an athlete who plays sports. She's not a weightlifter, but she's capable of lifting correctly because from an early age, we just did pulls from the power position for a long time. And so it just became automatic. And then when I asked him to pull and drop and receive it was like, well, yeah, I can do this because I've been doing the other stuff for so long. They didn't have to think about each process. It just became normal and natural. And that was, you know, that was one of the things that I've always taken pride in over the you know, last 30 years is my lifters, when they go to college, they always get told by the college strength coaches, like you lift really well. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and the reason I do that is because I know what they're going to go into in the college setting. And I'm like, you don't want to be behind. Let's eliminate that. That shouldn't be a stress for you. So they usually go in being one of the better lifters. And, and, you know, certainly this should be number one is I want to keep them safe. So if they lift correctly, I know they have a chance to stay real, stay real safe. So just so you know, for anyone who thought we were hating on strength training up until now, Lee's athletes lift. Yes. Yes, they do. It's so funny. It's whenever I talk to Mike Boyle, like he always has like this funny story of when like people come to the facility and they kind of have this, oh, like you lift weights. And like Mike be like, yep, we lift weights. And they go, and like, you lift pretty heavy weights. And he goes, yep, we lift heavy weights here. Because <laughs> so many people, like people have this perception that they just went to boils and they were like dancing on stability balls and all. And Mike's yeah. like, no, we lift weights and pretty heavy weights. And he's just like, see that girl over there? Yeah, she's doing like chin ups with like 45 pounds hanging off her. And I know. Probably lifting big trap bars. And you got, the, I remember there was kids in high school doing rear foot elevates with 140, 140 here, yeah, 315. Like ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? You wouldn't squat that in two legs with some people. Um, so Lee, just wrapping up here, um, not, not wrapping up, but like just kind of coming towards the end here, I do want you to address linear speed, your model, maybe some of the, the common mistakes you see coaches make when it comes to just like linear speed. And then even, I know it's a big topic too, but even just kind of like multi-directional speed, probably the best way to go about this is the common mistakes you see. Uh, and to you, you know, with, and again, we kind of touched on this, there is no one ideal way for any specific individual to move, but there is a, there is a model and like within that model, there's obviously going to be individual bandwidth of how someone accomplishes, yes. accomplishes that technical model using a specific yeah. strategy for them. But uh, if you want to just touch on linear speed, yeah. kind of your model, what comes to mind, 
common mistakes and then the same thing with multi-directional takeaway. Definitely. Well, so the first thing that I try to always address with, um, you know, if I'm, if I'm instructing coaches and others on what to look for and what not to look for is you, you, if you allow the athlete to actually sprint, allow them, it doesn't have to be real far, but it just has, they have to get into an upright posture then you're able to quickly ascertain what it is that they're not hitting. You know, the positions they're not hitting, why they might not be hitting. Are they, are they what I call like a squatter? Do they, you know, do they flatten out when they hit or can they stay tall? And we'll use like, depending on where they are, if they're in the warm weather near the beach, I'll say, you know, run above the water. Like if you're in the, you know, on the shoreline and the water is about shin level, stay above the water, pick your feet up, get up to the front side mechanics. If you're up in the Northeast in the snow, I'm like, you know, pick your feet up out of the snow, right? So, but what I try to tell them to do is all the drills that we have, the A's and the B's and the, you know, the, the, you know, all the different type of uh, running mechanical drills, they all have a purpose if you know the purpose and they have a, they have a direct uh, effect if that direct effect is put on the right meaning. Okay. So if I say to an athlete that is struggling with ground contact time and they're not being very stiff and elastic and I say, okay, I want you to do, you know, three to four sets of, you know, 30 meter power skips. Well, I'm giving them exactly what they do poorly. I'm giving them greater ground contact time um, um, putting them into greater depth when they land. And that's what they already do not very well. So in, when, when I look at runners, sprinters, and the linear, linear sprinting, I, I'm either looking at, are they the type of athlete that creates elasticity and they get off the ground really quick? Or are they the type of athlete that kind of gets stuck on the ground and, you know, but, but yet they cover decent distance. So they're more power-based. Like they can, they can push through, but they spend more time on the ground, which means they're probably going to be a backside dominant mechanical person versus the elastic person who can get off and start the recovery process quicker. Now, you know, the, the, the finite, um, techniques that they have to have is very dependent. So if I have a young athlete, I don't care if they master sprinting. I just want them to be able to move limbs quicker, um, uh, move limbs slower if we're talking about acceleration. So I need them to move it longer and slower. Or if they're already upright, then I need them to be able to move it quicker. So we'll design an exercise that will help them accomplish whatever it is. When you, get a, when you get a coach that says, okay, we do this whole series of running mechanics, I think depending on who you're working with, it can be harmful because you're just reproducing what they already do poorly. Uh, as where you can say, hey, let's segment these drills. Let's have the drills over here that get you off the ground quicker, which means more stiffness and elasticity. And let's have the drills over here that are more powerful. Well, Robbie, you need to go to, to the power one because you're already really elastic, but I need you to maybe have a little bit more force behind you as where I might be just the opposite. So we have to be able to identify those things in running. Now, when it comes to understanding biomechanical uh, positioning and laws of physical movement. So I am real big on saying, okay, if I see this athlete run and it doesn't look like they're getting much joint separation, so they're not really traveling very far. Well, what are some of the things that can disrupt that model? It could be arm action. If the arms are kept at 90 degrees 
through the entire stroke of the arm and they're never allowed to open up to match the mechanics of the opposite side of the body, the opposite leg. Well, that's a quick fix. It, it, well, it might not be a quick correction, but it's a quick fix. In other words, I can say to you, we need to address these issues. And over the next month, that, that's what we're going to be attacking because that's what's holding you up predominantly. And if we can fix that one thing, maybe the three other minor things just go away because we fix that. So I think those are the big things we look at. You know, can we stay tall? Can we, can we make sure we're in a great position when we're in a mechanical advantaged ground contact position? Or do we need our lever to move quickly through a zone, like from uh, toe touch, uh, the, the back phase as toe releases the ground? And can I pull that shank through quickly to get to the front side? And so we can start to establish, this is what it should look like. And if you're, if you're a volleyball player, I'm like, you're close enough. You're good. We're not going to have enough time to spend for you to be a, a, a top-level looking sprinter. But, but yet, I do need you to run efficiently so that we at least can protect you, you know. So that's kind of what I look at with uh, max velocity. Um, do you, I don't know if you want to address that. No, no, no. It's fantastic. No, perfect. Good. So if we look at multidirectional speed, now, more than anything, we are talking about projecting the center of mass in a direction or redirecting the center of mass. And that would mean change of direction or cutting or some category under change of direction. So now, what helps us do that? When I, when, let's say I'm, I'm gonna, let's, let's actually start with just uh, ex acceleration. So let's say I'm, I'm moving laterally and I wanna push off. If I don't have proper foot position and loading of the ankle joint to start, everything else is getting feedback from what my feet, my great toe, my ankle is telling it. it it's, if, if I have really poor positioning and setup down there, the rest of the body is going to feel something because of that response. So if I can get my athletes to just understand, use, your whole, use the entire foot but don't put weight on the heel. The heel will touch just because it's got range of motion. Like you said, you're really stiff. So if I put you in the right position, you may have really little weight, if any, on your heel. Somebody else that has greater range of motion, the ankle may have more contact on the heel, but we're still more loaded to the ball of the foot. How do I know that? What does my model tell me? If the shin is slanted forwards, meaning my knee is pushed out over my toes, well, then there is no way that athlete cannot be loaded on the ball of the foot versus if that knee was vertically right above the malleoli or the heel. Well, now I know the weight has to be on the heel if the heel's on the ground. Now, if the heel was lifted, then obviously that's different, but that's a diff whole different story. So just by me quickly watching an athlete move and seeing a distorted pattern but if I paid attention to the foot position, is it perpendicular to the direction of travel, which loads the ankle? Is the knee loaded forward, which I know is loading the ankle, or is it pulled back, which is unloading it? That immediately tells me, yep, there's a fix right there. I, if I can address that, I probably can fix some of the upper body issues that we're seeing with this lateral acceleration or, or change of direction. So, so those are the kind of things that we always look for. And if, if we say we want to see our sprinters come out of their start 
and run. And we want to see a straight line from the foot up through the knee, through the hip, through the you know, ribs, up through the shoulder, and through the head. Well, we need to have a model like that for lateral movement. So if I'm shuffling sideways, where my front leg always stays in front and my back leg always stays in front versus a crossover or what I call a lateral run, when I push off, that line of force now needs to go from my backside foot, through my knee, through my hip, through my ribs, through my pecs, through the front shoulder. If it doesn't go through the front shoulder, then my line of force pushing through the ground out through the, through the sky is now distorted and I'm either swaying too much or I'm lagging behind. So quickly, if you just understand those things, you can say, yep, there it is. I just, the athlete was tilted too much or they were rotated or whatever. And that helps us be able to quickly identify. So when I tell people about models, I don't say this is Lee Taft's model. I say, this is what physics led me to believe. And this is what, um, you know, shorter limbs allow me to do better. And this is why sometimes I need a longer limb because I do need a little more ground contact time because I'm trying to change this thing called inertia. And so that's kind of how I approach it. And then, like you said earlier, use a, you know, the term bandwidth. How much bandwidth do I need? It depends. It, it really does depend. But I just want to make sure, number one, they're safe. And then we get them as efficient as possible. When you come across a mechanical issue, say like an ankle or just something else that you, in your mind, you're like, that kind of needs like hands-on intervention. What, what do you do in that process? Would you ever say to an athlete, you know, I have a guy like, you know, Bill Hartman, go get it checked out. Or like, or do you, do, do you have certain, maybe certain, do you try and do a self-mobilization with them? Or like, you, you, you know, you get those athletes who are like, listen, that ankle just needs like someone to adjust it. Yeah. Yeah. If it's something where one of the things that I do a lot, one of our, our uh, warm up protocol is we walk backwards with our knees bent. Okay. So if I, if I bend my knees and people ask, well, why do you haven't bent their knees? I'm like, well, what does bending your knees do? It drives the ankle into more dorsiflexion mm -hmm. because my knees are now driven forward. So when they walk backward, they go from the tip of their toe to the ball of the foot, to the arch, to the heel. And while we're doing that, we're driving into the ground. So we're trying to communicate the quads of the legs with the ankle joint, the heel cord, the soleus. We're trying to get those to communicate together because they work really well together. So sometimes if I can initiate some kind of activated pattern like that, sometimes it, it, it kind of relieves its tension a little bit. And I don't always need full release from one particular point but if i can get it from multiple points the sum of all those parts equals what i need and what the athlete needs so sometimes we'll we'll address that the other thing robbie that i'll do is i have slide boards okay so i have i have a couple in storage but i have a couple in my garage where i train a lot of times when i see that i'll put an athlete on a slide board when i push off a slide board and i glide across i have to be perpendicular why because the board tells me that if i mm. put the side of my foot against the board my foot is perpendicular now if i can drive my uh if i can get them into a squat which drives their knee forward a little bit and push off that action helps them create more range of motion in the ankle joint so that is a strategy that i've used really successfully to get them to drive more dorsiflexion. But if it's a situation where I'm just having a hard time getting it, you're right. Bill Hartman's a half hour from me. I'll refer him to him. Or if there's somebody else that I know has better, you know, abilities than I do, um, 
you know, and can put their hands on them, then I'll do that as well. Mm. I, I know we're coming up here in time. Um, a whole other topic that I'm definitely going to get you back on if, if, you'd, if you'd like to come on and talk about this is um, return to play. You know, you're bringing athletes back and return to play and building confidence back to them in chaotic environments where they have to get into that, you know, perception, action, coupling situations, you know, and, you know, d- dynamic environments. Um, and obviously, I, I really do want to speak more to you more about like skill acquisition and the, the, the dynamic systems theory. And yeah. as I said to you before we hopped on, like, you know, at your clinic last year here in Ireland, which was like phenomenal. Like, um, obviously, I have to say that uh, the money, the money's in the mail. But no, <laughs> seriously, it was, it was brilliant. But th- there was so much, and I said to this again before we hopped online. There was so much that you presented on that reminded me so much of Franz Bosch's work. And and it's not to say that you you took it from France because actually I I have material from you going back from like two thousand eight nine two thousand ten like you know your low box training stuff yeah um your athletic speed formula which I said to you before when we spoke that product is unreal for the time I remember like when I was this is early internet like I was like oh seven oh eight and like you were you were putting out your 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 monthly I was subscribed to that your monthly DVDs in the mail. You yeah, those. these would be brilliant. You'd have your elite half Q and A's and like your movement of the, the month and all that. And I remember when Athletic Speed Formula came out, and I was like a young coach, and I was like, "Will I buy this? Won't I buy this?" Because it was a few hundred dollars and well, and well worth it. It's like fucking fifteen hours or something. And I remember I bought it, and my mind was like blown. It was like, "Holy crap!" Because that had everything. That had like I remember you had like it was like early FMS stuff in it. Yeah, and like there was a guy from South Africa who gave a testimony. He's like, "Well, a guy from South Africa came to this," and it was just it was just phenomenal. But um, getting you back on to just talking about dynamic systems theory and and like some of the some of the stuff that you did uh, that that you showed us at that clinic, you know, so like landing off a box and you had the plate out held in front and the plate overhead and the plate to the side and adding in these perturbations and I've seen you do this with med balls and sorry. The point I'm trying to get here is that is that like you've been doing that type of stuff for years. Like, like since back when I subscribed, like this is 2009 when like, you know, I was a complete greenhorn and like, I still like don't know anything to this day, but I remember going like, why is he doing that? And, and the more I learned about like motor learning and skill acquisition and, you know, attractors and fluctuators and that's right. dynamic landscape and more friends and stuff. And I was like, you know, and I don't even know if you maybe yourself were kind of thinking in it that way, but I could see is like, I think that's what Lee was trying to get to. You know, he was trying to bring athletes who move very well, or if they maybe had a strategy he thought could be more efficient, he was trying to perturbate them, like get them out of their 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 attractor wells, add a little bit of perturbation, you know, open up their their movement bandwidth and variability. And it was just like it was just kind of like, you know, I see Franz from his lens and then I see you from your lens, and I'm kinda of like, hmm, this is starting to make a little more sense here now, you know, adding these fluctuators and just the way you went about it. So it'd be something I'd love to get you to, to speak. Yeah. Well, what was funny is that the 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 low box stuff and the fake throw stuff originated in nineteen ninety one. Yeah. When I was yeah. at a, uh, what's now called IMG, but it was Ten, yeah, you were doing tennis academy, academy, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was just that you know IMG hadn't bought it yet at the time, and what I was trying to do is I was trying to figure out I was having some issues with certain players not be able to manage their mass really well, and I was 25 years old. I I created a strategy that made sense to me. I didn't know why it made sense. Yes. Uh, I just knew that it was doing what I needed them to do without me telling them. So I started, They, I remember they had these big Reeboks 
you know, step aerobic steps in this corner. Nobody was using them. So I grabbed a bunch and I started messing with them. And then I had the medicine balls. And that's really where the concepts came from. Mm. I didn't know what it meant at the time. But as I grew in strength and conditioning, I started to study more about learning and, and uh, reactive abilities and how, like we, we always talk about core stiffness now. Well, it's automatically created when you do the fake throw series. And that's where it came from. I like when I take this medicine ball and I stop it violently, everything just stiffens up to be able to create a deceleration angle or an acceleration angle without me having to say a thing. And if the athlete makes a mistake, the feedback is right there and they make the correction so they don't stumble the next time. And then over time I learned it. I learned why it was happening, but at the time it just made sense to me. So that's how long it was when those original concepts came about. Like to me, two things, uh, and again, I don't want to keep talking, two things come immediately to mind there is that like Franz, obviously a lot of his stuff is to do with like linear speed. So a lot of his stuff is co-contractions to to carry over into that linear speed. Whereas you think about it, you know, you were thinking maybe more so like that ball is giving you that co-contraction, that multi-directional speed, that triplanar movement. And then also too, like so intuitive, like what's reactive new muscle technique from Gray Cook? It's pulling you more into that mistake. So you're getting people shifting outside their center of mass and you're like, if I use this ball and maybe kind of get them to subconsciously force that mistake more, their body will probably say, hmm, I'm going for a strategy here that will like yeah. not let me do this. So it's just, yeah, that's what I saw. Like it was like, that's what I meant by, I was like, I don't think Lee was kind of thinking it the way, like maybe through the same lens that Franz uses, but he had exactly. his reasons it was just, but you know, both you guys kind of came to the same place through just different avenues. And, you know, then I can kind of take, here's Lee Taft on this side, here's Franz Bosch. And I'm like, mm, this stuff is starting to make a lot of sense right now from a model learning standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. It's, it's really cool stuff. And I think the more we allow the body to show us what it needs, I think we learn better. What are you reading right now? Um, I, I, it's funny. I've got a couple of different things here. I've got, um, um, one by Dr. James Andrews. It's any given Monday. You know, this is a book that I'm kind of okay. going through and I really like this book. Uh, you, uh, you might've read this, the athletic skills model. Oh, um, uh, Keith Davidson, the boys. Yeah. 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 I haven't, I haven't fully gone through, but, uh, any material they put out is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. And you know, what's funny is I'm putting myself back into, to, uh, uh, learning mode with my, because, you know, as you know, as we go through things, if you don't constantly do it, you forget it. So every now and again, I do my anatomy coloring book. And this was, you know, Bill, Bill Hartman said to me, he goes, Lee, you got a, you got yours. <laughs> there you go. There uh, you go. It's, it's Italian physiology is where my head's completely at. The, yep. the last one. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, you know, sometimes I just need to, you know, kind of sharpen the tools again, you know, and make sure I'm, paying attention to certain things. Cause if I don't talk it a lot, which I don't, unless I'm around other professionals that we're talking it, you know, when dealing with athletes, you don't talk about a, you know, a small muscle behind the elbow or the wrist or whatever, you know, so I'm just trying to do stuff like that every now and again. So, uh, so those are kind of the things I'm on right now. Just speaking of Bill Hartman, uh, and I don't know if he's recommended this to you. Have you read the book, make it stick? Yes, I have that. That's all, that's actually behind me in my other pile. I read that, uh, probably, probably two or three years ago. Loved it. That, that, that's ra- radically changed how I study. Like radically. Yeah. Like I, I've been telling people this the last about four months is that like my memory and recall have gone like through the roof. Like they've gone up about a thousand fold because of the concepts I took from that book. Like so like yep. it, I got like 
what what probably would have taken me like four hours to get into my head now is like literally like an hour of just intensive study because of just how I've used the principles in that book. It's just it's really liberated me in terms Great of how book. I study now. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yep. Uh, final two here, Finley. Um, just touching on that with regards to learning, what is your learning process? Like, so when you want to master a topic, is it is it that you you teach it? Is that how you consolidate your learning? Yeah, that that helps me a lot. But it's in my garage where I do my retreats and I train my athletes and I, right. I work out myself. I have a big dry erase board. I actually have two or three of them out there. And I am big on um, listening. So I'll listen to, you know, your podcast or you have different people on. I listen to all different kinds of information. I'm, I'm doing a lot with leadership right now. Um, Great. Some, I, was, I was on, you know, um, you know, brain development for a while. And, and, and what I do is I'll, I listen, I write it, I'll rewind it. I'll listen to see if I actually got the right angle on it. And then I just write, I'm a writer. Okay. I like to write. No, I don't mean I'm a, a book writer. I mean, I mean? write things. I, if I, I don't, um, I don't do well if I put things on my computer, unless I'm sending emails or finishing and polishing documents. But if I hand write it, that helps me a lot because I can circle it and I can underline it and I can quotation marks or whatever I need. That, that helps me a lot. But if I actually apply it and do it, because what's in my head when I'm saying, yeah, I got this. And then I actually try to teach it. I'm like, holy crap, I don't have, I'm not even close to understanding it because I couldn't come up with the concepts quick enough as where if somebody talked to me, asked me a question about multidirectional speed, yeah. I can pretty much come, you know, give you an answer that you need, but that's because I've applied it most of my life, but something else that I haven't done, I have to, I have to put myself in environments where I, I fail. And then I, I figure out how to correct it. Right. Love it. Love it. Um, last one for you. And if you, if, if for whatever reason, like, like it's, it's a big enough question. Um, so like, if you need a little more time on it, I understand. But what I always say to people before I ask this is just don't panic. It, your answer doesn't have to be profound. Cause I think people are always like, they're like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know. It's just like, whatever is in the moment, whoever comes to mind, but it's usually the standard last question I ask at the end of the podcast. Yeah. And is if I was to take you for dinner and all your family, your immediate family are already there. Um, and I say, Lee, you can bring five people to this dinner. They can be dead or alive. They can be uh, um, a, a real person or a fictitious character. So they could be like you know, a superhero. Who would you bring right. to this dinner and why? Five people. Oh, man. Yeah, that is a good question. Um, well, you know, I, I think I would want, um, I'm trying to come up with obviously names, but I would want somebody that, um, somebody there that gives me great uh, insight into um, the experiences they had through coaching. Like, uh, so we could say a John Wooden, I guess, who comes to name. My, I was actually going to pick up my John Wooden book. It's too far away. And I was like, like really? yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, somebody like him or some of the current, you know, you take somebody like a Phil Jackson who always, who, you know, with the championships he's had, even though, he, he has a different philosophy. Well, that, that, that's what interests me. You know, mm -hmm. how did you manage some of the toughest egos in the game with a Michael Jordan and a Scottie Pippen and a Dennis Rodman? How did you do that? You know, so somebody like him would be there. I would want to have someone like a, um, um, what's his, who is the, the founder of Apple? Uh, Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. I drew, drew a blank. Steve Jobs, because the reason he, uh, I'm attracted to his philosophy is because he thought differently and he was very much not always about the win. 
It was about what's best mm. and what's the next thing. And that, that interests me. It's, it's about being more, you know, infinite and rather than just finite. Okay. We get a win game over. Yeah, that wasn't yeah. him. He was thinking what's next. What, what do we do to keep evolving? I think that's really important. Great. And I'd want to have someone like him there. Um, you know, I, I would, you know, it, this is kind of funny. I was thinking of this the other day cause I, I saw him on ESPN when Kobe Bryant was an athlete, you know, I loved watching him play. I love it, but I could take him or leave him in certain antics. But as he's become, he's, he's retired and he's become almost like a, a, you know, he teaches, he has a little program. I forget what it's called, but he teaches, he breaks down film and stuff. I would want to know someone like him uh, more so than Michael Jordan, because Michael just kind of did stiff stuff and he was a little bit more, you know, he didn't really always open up. Kobe is almost like he'll let you know what's in his mind. Mm -hmm. This is why, like, I want to know why you practiced for two hours without a basketball in your hand and he just worked on footwork. How many athletes do you know would do that? Yeah. I don't know any. I, I really can't say that I could see an athlete going into the gym without a basketball and working on all the footwork patterns that he's going to need to do. I would love to talk to somebody like that and uh, learn more about them. Um, you know, certainly, um, you know, if we, if we were to go, you know, certainly back in time, I would like to know, you know, like Nostradamus and people like that are in cool. kind of, in, yeah, kind of intrigued me. Um, you know, what, what gave you the courage to, to be able to know that you're probably going to be, uh, you know, ostracized and, and thought of differently, but what made you do that? You know, how were you able to do that? Because I, I think that's important. I, I don't think our, I don't think our societies evolve without people who are willing to put their neck out there, yeah. not because they're trying to put their neck out there, but because they truly believe this is the way things occur and this is what's going to happen. And this is what I'm foreseeing. And so those things are kind of intriguing to me. So yeah, um, like Galileo and like, you know, the, the sun of the earth is like, actually yep. we go around the sun. And it's just like blasphemy. And he's like, ah, oh, crap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and then, uh, Let's see. That was a four, I think. Um, it's, a, it's actually, well, if you have John Wooden and Jackson, it's actually five, but I'll give you another one. Go on. Okay. Then, you know, I, this is, and I don't know that I have a name yet, but I, I would like to have, I would like to have a Olympic or it could be world champion or whatever it is, could be world cup or whatever, like the elite athlete. And I would just like to know, kind of sit and talk with them and say, did you understand what you accomplished? Like, was it something that was written down and programmed and you had from seventh grade on or that you knew you were going to come or did it, was it just DNA? Was it something you yeah. did? And like, is that, is there something I can take from that and be able to kind of at least, because not everybody's going to accept it, but maybe be able to share with other athletes and coaches and say, well, here's, here is a pathway. This is what this athlete did for the 10 years and became a world champion, a world cup champion, an NFL or, a, you know, MLS, whatever. And this is what they did. So I'd like to listen to the mind of somebody young like that. That's hot right in their, you know, best, most uh, uh, successful time in their life. And I think and, that would be. Kind anyone of come cool. to mind? Like what, what, the first person that also comes to my mind when I think of an Olympian like that is Phelps. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. somebody like, like him. Sick, yeah. sick, isn't it? How good he, like, how, like, just a freak, like, just to, the, the, like, I suppose that's what happens when you have the, 
you know, and I, I don't want to just say this like tongue in cheek, but he did have like the genetics in terms of the body structure for swimming, but then times that with the work ethic, obviously, and then the coach he had, and it's yeah. just everything aligned, but you still have to put the work in, like, you know, just phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, someone like that. And even, even I'd like to, you know, cause there's certain athletes out there that really, if you probably saw them when they were in junior high or elementary school, you're saying, eh, you know, the kid, he's yeah, not yeah. You know, you could probably look at LeBron James when he was young and say, yeah, this guy's going to go somewhere. You know, physically, he's got it. But I'd be intrigued with that athlete that, like, gosh, they just came out of nowhere. And they – and but they – you know, what they did, the work they did. So I think that would be real interesting, kind of round out my, my uh, dinner. As long as they didn't take too much food, I'm cool with it. <laughs> Get your hand off my plate, I've been saying. Right. Can I try some? No, no, you can't. You, you got your own order. I got, yeah, I'm real. I, I don't know if you're like me, I'm a foodie. I absolutely love it. Like, literally, it's actually scary how much, uh, how much, like, of my brain power goes towards my food every day. Like, I wake up and go, I can't wait to have my lunch. <laughs> like, right now, I'm like, I can't wait to have my dinner this evening. I just, I love yeah. It. yeah, the simple things in life. Lee, listen, yeah, this is an absolute pleasure. Obviously, I'll say goodbye to you offline, but before I go, please let the listeners know where they can find out more about you, what you got going on, and, you know, let us know what's going on too in 2020. What's next for Lee Taft? Yeah, thank you. Well, if anytime they go to leetaft.com, they can find, you know, pretty much find what they want. If, you know, anything at leetaft, you know, Instagram or Twitter, you know, I'm, I'm there, they can find me. And, um, you know, if they go to YouTube and look up, you know, Lee Taft or speed tips from my garage, I, try, I do a ton of free videos on different topics there. Um, you know, coming up, um, I'm working on other consulting things, but we also have like a coaching course that we're already doing. We have some, you know, individuals that were in some of our private, uh, you know, like the retreats and stuff that are already in it. Great. And, um, you know, so that stuff, but then, but, you know, we're working on a, a membership site that we did years ago that we're revamping and trying to get it out there. And, and I'm doing it because there has been a lot of requests. So I'm just getting it out there. And if people want it good, if they don't, I'm, I'm okay with that. It doesn't, nothing affects me like that, but I just want to provide them with more opportunities and, uh, you know, so that's kind of what's going on in, you know, 2020. We're actually looking at physically moving. We may be moving down south. We're probably really? going to, yeah, probably going to look at Florida. But I just, I don't want to scrape ice anymore off my windshields. Okay, and yeah, so, okay. <laughs> so, but well, we, we've been yeah. talking about it for, you know, a few years. And uh, my one daughter is down playing there now. My other daughter actually is in college in Florida as well. She's just taking some online courses right now while she's home. But uh, so it's just something we're looking at doing, just getting a better quality of life in terms of year round, being able to get outside and do things. And so, so Lee, tell me your, your youngest daughter is Bailey. Your older daughter is what's Jade? Jay. Jay. Yep. Jay. And then but Brennan, my, yep. My son, Brennan, who will be, he'll be 12 coming up in January. Oh, okay. So, yep. So, uh, yeah. Okay. So, good and come here, so are both girls, in, both girls are in college, are they? Yeah. One's a freshman, one's a senior. Get you. I get you. And a bit, bit, bit of a move for your son, though, wouldn't it? Because I was thinking if, if both girls are in college, it, it'd be easy then, kind of, wouldn't yeah. it? Florida. Might be a bit of a move. But again, like you used to live in New York for a while. Yeah, that's where I'm from. I'm from New York, and You're we were there for. Yep. So Jay and Bailey were actually born in New York. And then when um, Jay would have been in. Um, Jay would have been in going into like first grade, and then Bailey wasn't in school yet. That's when we moved, and we ended up in Indiana. Okay. So we've been here, you know, been here for. Uh, Why Indiana? Is that where your wife is from? Yeah, she's from uh, here. I got yep. you. I got you. Yeah. Florida. Indiana, nice. It's a very, um, 
very athletic state. They take sports really seriously. They do yeah. a lot for sports. So it's been fun. It's been definitely a fun, fun place to live. And big basketball state too. You and you, you love basketball. You're, you're, yeah. you're big background in basketball. But uh, obviously, a, a good individual to speak to there will be Eric Cressy because he has a second home, obviously in Florida. Yep, yep. Um, we've talked to him already. I yeah, was I thinking. I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he. Uh, and then we got. I just was down with the Phillies. Uh, working with them and I you know I've been down with them four times or so and their their strength coaches have said well these are some good areas to look so yeah mm. we're kind of we're laying the groundwork just to kind of see where we want to be so we're gonna we're gonna go wherever the the hurricanes don't hit man there's some um there, there's some great people down there you know you obviously have your Milo with the Jaguar Jackson Jaguars as well if you Tom Malinsky he's there and Dave Paloka at, at the Dolphins and then you have um the IMHE the international human and machine cognition your man ken ford there's a, a guy a guy i say he's a guy i take that back there's a really really very important person in my life he's a great friend a mentor a guy i just mm. call him uh, dr brendan egan he's, he's head of the exercise um science and physiology department in in dublin city university here but he's actually done some work with ken ford um and they're down in florida too and I think oh, Joe really? I think Joe Gomes is actually there right now. So Joe, who used to be the Raiders strength coach and he was with Exos when he used to be at least performance. So tons of great people there. Also, too, people don't notice from Florida, there's the Venus Project. If I was in Florida, I'd be going to visit that. The Venus Project is unreal. It's it's all about this like resource-based economy and all about like future inventions and stuff that this guy Jock sure. Fresso came up with and Jock has since passed, but his partner Roxanne Meadows still runs it. But then you have Elliot Holtz down there. Elliot Holtz is down there if everyone wants to visit strength camp. So yeah, Florida would be great. And Vern is there too. Vern, I believe, is yep. in Florida. Yeah, it'd be a great place to go. One thing you didn't mention to the listeners, you have your own podcast, I believe. You've joined the ranks. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, it's called the Complete Sports Performance Podcast. And thank you. It's um and I did it with uh Athletes Acceleration Pat Beath. You know, it's it's uh you know, kind of I do a lot with them. Um and so, you know, I so, and I'm really enjoying it. I've had a great time uh doing it and learning it, you know, it took me a little while to learn the technology of it and how to get it set up and what things to use, but, but it's, uh, it's been fun. So yeah, I look forward to, uh, you know, growing with it and seeing where it, see where it takes us. Isn't it funny just from one podcast to another, like I was the exact same and we put up all these roadblocks going, Oh, like I don't understand mics and what do you record <laughs> with? And like, how do you edit it? And then where do I host it? And then it's just like, when you learn all that and it's just, it becomes second nature, like, what was I thinking before? Like, it's just like you, know, you build these things up in your mind. I know even from college, my master's, I'm like, oh, I'll do this project. And then when you get that project, you're like, actually wasn't that bad. Yeah. Uh, you're, listen, you're a phenomenal human being. I really do appreciate everything you're doing, everything you're putting out. You're an absolute legend and a gent. And I wish, yeah, nothing, I appreciate you. wish nothing but the, the best for you and your family. And if you move to Florida, I'm going to come stalk you. Hey, Lee. Please. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, Please. We'll have a, we'll have a extra room for you. Ah, great. I love it. I absolutely love it. But for all the listeners, I said everything in the show notes, if you have any interest in just like linear speed development, multi-directional speed development, and as we alluded to it, the man is more than just that. But if you have <laughs> any interest in Lee's work, it'll be wrapped up in the show notes and I couldn't highly recommend it. I've been influenced by Lee's stuff for like the last decade since I bought Groundbreaking Speed 1. Then I bought number two, which then was multi. This is when they came in multi packs of DVDs. It was like yeah, it was right. like it was like Christmas when the package came, you know. <laughs> and now everything's online. You don't get the physical product anymore. But his stuff is amazing. So Lee, truly appreciate you. And uh, thank you, listen, Robbie. I'll I have you back you. on. Thank you so much for all the listeners. As I say, that you're spoiled, rotten people. With all this information. But until next time, peace. <laughs>